Well, it's a good night. It's a good time to get in God's Word just for a moment. I've got a good word for you. I'm actually really excited about it. And I want to just talk to you about the miracle of walking in God's authority. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And then he said, go therefore and um, make disciples, preach the gospel, do a job. The church has a job. It has a mission. And um, the devil knows it. We're not to be ignorant of his devices. He's constantly trying to hinder it, disrupt it, thwart it. He is a diminishing being. God is a replenishing being. The devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, John 10.10. We know Jesus, however, comes to give life and give it abundantly. And uh, I want to tell you that we are learning how to flow in that, and we're learning how to navigate in these upcoming days. Uh, The Bible says in the last days, perilous, difficult, challenging times will come. They've been very intensified in recent days, and uh, yet... God's word is intact, strong, solid. We receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken. And the contrast of the foolish person or the wise person, it's predicated on where you build your house. If you build your house on sand, it'll shift and the house will fall when the winds come and the waves crash and the rains pour down. But if you build your house on something solid, the rock, we know that to be Jesus. We know that to be God's word. We know that to be the life of faith and the principles that God lays out before us, then uh, we will stand. Having done all to stand, we stand. How many of you are here so far? Let me see your hands. You're still here. Do you know that's a miracle? You know, you've been through a thing or two. You don't need me to tell you, but some of you, there were things that were designed to take you out. I just had a lady tell me that she had a, I, I told people that I flew out of my grandfather's car I opened the door of the car as a child and I flew out in midair. My mom grabbed me in midair and pulled me back just as I was ready to hit the pavement. So I was told I was a little bitty baby in a diaper. That was before child restraint laws, seat belts, and so forth, uh, yeah, that kind of thing. So I was just a projectile in the car at that point. Well, she told me she opened up the car door and she, was, she hit the gravel, but God brought her through it. So thank God for our angels. We, she has angels and I have angels that are just kind of shaking their heads going, man, what an assignment. How many of you think your angels are kind of going, man, come on, enough is enough? Well, I want to go to the book of uh, Romans, and I want to read something to you about about Abraham. And uh, it says in Romans chapter 4, verse 1, it says, What then shall we say that that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? What, What shall we say? How do we summarize what... Abraham unveiled, or what he, he, he realized. Abraham realized that God was, in fact, present and available. Abraham tapped into a relationship with God. God made a contract with him. It's called a covenant in the Bible. He made a blood covenant with him, which is the most significant to the ancients and even to many people and tribes around the world to, to this day. It's signed in blood. It's the most important covenant, most important agreement. It's not just something flippant. And God, who cannot lie, made a commitment, and Abraham understood that he was and is faithful. And Abraham was justified, and Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. This caused uh, something to perpetuate in Abraham's life. Abraham was a man named Abram, 
of the Chaldeans. He was apparently a seeker of God. And uh, here he was. He was very wealthy. He had uh, a lot in his life. But he had an empty space in his heart. And um, God knew that only he could fill it. And God came and became a friend to Abraham and Abraham to God. And uh, he promised him things. And he said, well, you know what? The problem is I don't have an heir. I'm, I'm childless. And he said, well... I'm going to give you a child, and I'm going to change your name from Abram to Abraham, which means father of many nations. And so it says in Hebrews, stay in Romans 4, but in Hebrews 11, it says, by faith, in verse 8, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed. This is critical. Obedience begets blessing. It says in in Isaiah 119 that if you're willing and obedient, the Bible says you'll eat the good of the land. But then it gives a stern warning, but if you disobey, obey, you'll be devoured by the sword. And that's ancient Israel being spoken to by the prophet Isaiah. And it's very pertinent in the Old Testament. It's also bumped up into the New Testament. Uh, We're to be obedient. Obedience is better than sacrifice. We need to learn to follow the witness of the Holy Spirit, obey the written word of God. And if we find we're being disobedient, uh, we repent so we can get back on the sunny side of things. And Abraham had this kind of ongoing obedience And he went out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out, notice this, not knowing where he was going. Now, some people call this blind faith. Some people call this almost, it almost sounds presumptuous. It would be presumptuous except for the fact that God was instructing him and he was following God's instruction, though he didn't have all the details about the next steps. So I want to tell you, Abraham models something here. What shall we say he found? He found that God was faithful and that God would, had, a, had a, his best interest at heart. God loved him. He said he went out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Verse 9, by faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise. I think we're at our best as Christians when we maintain somewhat of an alien mentality. And by that I mean... I'm really not of this world. This isn't my final fulfillment. This isn't my final destination. This isn't the center of things. This is not how I get completely oriented. I've got my eyes on the prize. I know that eventually I'm going to get to be present with the Lord in the kingdom of heaven, and I'm going to go for the ages and ages to come. So while I'm alive on the world, I'm in it, but I'm not of it. And it doesn't advocate goofiness. It doesn't advocate mysticism. It doesn't advocate holier than thou. It doesn't cause us to deny any of the joys. Look, I sat on my porch and I saw these two hummingbirds fighting over the hummingbird feeder. And I just thought, man, this is, this, these are like days of heaven on earth for me. And, it, and just watching these two little scrappers, they look like they're just like big, large bees, you know. And they've got like needle nose pliers on the, and, and they're just kind of on combat, you know. And they look like little sweet little birds. They've got big eyes and they look so sweet. Man, they were going at it, you know. If I was so more spiritual than God, I would ignore that. I would bury my head from it. I would, that's not uh, what, uh, God's not calling us to some sort of downgrading aestheticism when, when he talks about an alien mentality. He's mainly talking about your citizenship is in heaven. You're a new creation in Christ. And set your affections on things above. Hunger and thirst after righteousness and hunger and thirst after the things of the Holy Spirit. We're to covet earnestly spiritual gifts. 
We're to explore and understand and cultivate an awareness for our days and really walk in obedience to the Word of God and in the subtle promptings of the Holy Spirit. So this is some of the stuff that Abraham learned. And uh, it's just amazing. He was looking to a city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He wanted God's stuff. He didn't want Nimrod's Tower of Babel humanism. He didn't want just so many kings and kingdoms. He wanted the king of kings, and he wanted to know and to learn his ways, for he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. How many of you want the God stuff for your life? I mean... I want to know what he's doing right now. As, as I watch the news like you do, and I see the news cycle, I see the, some of the, the things that are going on in the, in the polarity of things, the social ills, the variables, you know, uh, variants of sickness and things like that. It's like, it's good to know we have a healer. It's good to know that Jesus doesn't take, nothing takes him by surprise, that, he's, that the nations are as a drop in the bucket and as dust on the scales. And I, being a baby boomer that got saved in 1972, hitchhiking in Southern California in the hippie era, have absolute confidence that if God could rescue a disenfranchised, marginalized, dysfunctional suburbanite from Southern California, he has a great plan for the Generation X and the Millennials. He has a plan for each generation. He had a plan for Abraham and for Isaac, his son, and for Jacob. And look, let's stay, let's stay with this. Let's go back to Romans chapter 4 and let's look at this. Verse 16, it talks about, well, God promising Abraham so many key things. He promised him descendants. It said in verse 13, for the, the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that they would be heir of the world was not through the law but through the righteousness of faith. What does that mean? This whole faith thing, God has... Uh, plan throughout the generations, and he and, and it has sequencing, and it has uh, 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 anticip- You can you can anticipate cycles of it. You can expect, just like there's seed time and harvest, just like there's sunrise and sunset, just like we see nations rise and fall. We also see God has plans for welfare and not calamity. God has purposes that he's pouring out in each situation and in, 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 the, in this moment. And so let's, let's look here at verse 16. It says, for this reason it is by faith, in order that it might be by an accordance with grace. It's by faith through grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants. So you see how God has blessed Abraham's descendants, literally the Jewish people, and now literally the, the people that embrace Jesus, the Messiah, the gospel to the Jew first and also to the non-Jew. So we are now Abraham's seed, and we also are heirs of Abraham's promise. The blessings of Abraham have come upon the Gentiles by faith as well as the, the Jews. So this is spread out and proliferated to every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every dialect. Right there, that settles all this ethnicity stuff, all this race stuff. This settles it. So it's just like the God broke the dividing wall between Jew and non-Jew, and we need to let Jesus keep breaking down dividing walls and, and, uh, bringing, and building bridges. Hallelujah. And faith does that. Faith does that. And that's where we harmonize when we get connected with Jesus and understand these things correctly. Look what it says here. It says, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, 
uh, who is the father of us all. So we, I've heard somebody say, you'll never have Abraham's blessings with the Thomas kind of faith, but they ridicule Thomas. Well, Thomas just had good questions. Thomas asked great questions. The answer to the question Thomas had, Lord, we don't know the way, show us the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Had Thomas not asked that, that's the verse that led me to the Lord. You'll never hear me disparage him as doubting Thomas. This doesn't either. It's just saying, look, get, stay in faith. Look at somebody next to you and say, stay in faith. Uh, he says this in verse 17. It is written, a father of many nations have I made you. A father of many nations have I made you. That's current tense. In the presence of him who he believed, even God, look at this, two things, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. Now that ought to trip on your melon just as much as it really has the potential to. That is a radical, radical statement right there. I don't have to hype it up and embellish it, and I sure don't want to downplay it or diminish it. This is a kick in scripture. And he says that Abraham had a concept about two things. God gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. He calls into being that which does not exist. Theorists are coming up with the Big Bang and how did things come out of something out of nothing? How did, how did all this somethingness come out of nothingness and all this eternal void and all these kinds of things? And in the beginning, God said, let there be light, and there was light. I'm satisfied with that. I'm, a, I'm definitely a believer in the creator. He created, and he still is creative. He calls into being that which does not exist. That's why I love that whole litany in Mark chapter 11, verse 22. Jesus said, have faith in God. He said in the next verse 23, whoever says to this mountain, be thou removed, be thou cast into the sea, does not doubt in his or her heart, but believes those things which he says shall come to pass, he'll have whatsoever he says. So there's power in our words. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. I was listening to Southern Baptist Gary Chapman, 83 years old, talking about the five love languages. Epic book, he, and he said in his counseling, he kept counseling people who were married, and he kept realizing they've been, you know, they're, they're not going anywhere, they've been together for a long time, but they, they've fallen out of that sort of romantic kind of love, and they're just kind of, you know, one lady said, you know, my husband, he, he comes home and he does the dishes, and he, but we don't have conversation, so he realized, man, they, they love each other, and this guy's a good guy, and he, he's well-intentioned, but so he was getting all this revelation. So he took a bunch of notes, he put this together, and God began to show him about their different ways to express love. I thought how cool this was that God gave this Southern Baptist, this is some of the most um, purchased Christian literature in the history of Christianity. And it's just a sweet Southern gentleman, I think he's from South Carolina, and I love him for it, you know, and it, it was birthed out of empathy and it was birthed out of concern. And he talked about uh, quality time, and he talked about acts of service, and he talked about gifts, giving gifts, and he talked about touch, physical touch, you know, embracing, hugging, and so forth. And he talked about uh, words of affirmation. And when he got on words of affirmation, he said there's an ancient Hebrew proverb that says life and death is in the power of the tongue. This isn't just uh, some sort of fringe theology. This is fundamental. In the beginning, God said, let there be light, and there was light. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Romans chapter 10, 
verse 17. And then Mark chapter 11, verse 23 says, whoever says to this mountain, we need to speak to our mountains. And I like what Mark Hankins said. He said, uh, instead of telling uh, your God how big your mountain is, you need to tell your mountain how big your God is. And I love that. And I think it's important that we understand life and death is in the power of the tongue. And in the case of, of, of what this, this counselor or this pastor was saying, it, you know, if you figure out the love language of your mate, of your friends, of your colleagues at work, and learn to become proficient in it. I think the church will be better. I'm taking a little sidestep here. I think marriages will be better. You know, when we were young, we came out of school, and I started marriage counseling, actually, and I had only been married for about five years. I'd just been out of Bible school, and God actually did wonderfully help me. And recently, I ran into somebody that we helped so many years ago, and they're still doing great, and it was, they were in a perilous place. And I mean, if it was based on my, my skill set or my experience, uh, it, it, it would have been a flop, but by the grace of God and by the word of God, they got helped. So now let's get back to this. All things for which you pray and ask, believing you receive them, and you shall have them. This is important that we, our prayers, we understand how, that our, the fervent, heartfelt prayer of a righteous person avails much. It makes power available, dynamic, and it's working. We had pre-meeting prayer before I came in here. We went to the back there. The musicians were back there, and we prayed. And I, I love pre-meeting prayer. And I love praying about everything. The, last week, we had uh, our daughter, Lyric, she came by, and uh, I put her up on my bike, and she was sitting on this knee, and I was riding around, and, and, I, and I was riding around the corner, and I, and I was praying. And she said, Papa, why, why, Papa Jay, why are, you, why are you talking to Jesus? And, uh, you know, if, if she knew how I ride bikes, she would, she would understand that it's good, it's good that while I'm holding her on my knee, that it was good I prayed. But I said, I pray, oh, Lyric, I pray about everything. And, 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 I, said, and I said, I love Jesus. And, and she said, I love Jesus too. So we had a great ride, man. A little five-year-old tells you they love Jesus, you know. I said, you know, he made all this. How did he make these trees, Papa Jay? Uh, <laughs> let me get back to you on that. But it's all things for which you pray and ask. Believe that you receive, and you'll have it. Speak to your mountains, and your mountains will be removed. I mean, I pray wisdom for President Biden right now and the leaders, and they make right choices. They don't that God gives wisdom, whether you vote for him or not, you pray for those in authority over you, you don't have a bad spirit about you, you don't have a bad attitude, because we understand we're submitted and we're under authority, and we have something to say in our response to that and be in faith and not be contemptible and bitter, but get in faith and trust God, because we believe that he raises the dead, gives life to the dead, and he calls into being that which does not exist. Ooh, I'm going to get to the strong part, verse 25 in a minute. Mark chapter 11, verse 25 says, When you pray, forgive if you have anything against anyone. Who was here with me last week? Last week I opened up that can of worms about overcoming offenses. It's in, Jesus said in Luke that it's inevitable that offenses will come. And um, so we have to learn, and in fact Jesus in that amazing, have faith in God, Speak to your mountains, 
pray, believe, you receive when you pray. And then it goes right in there and it shows the, the requirement of all that process of faith. When you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone. And I've noticed this. Right before a breakthrough, the devil stirs, sows discord, gets you distracted, gets you upset, gets you hurt. Uh, and that is, they're vexing things that are trying to go on right now. So what I'm preaching, if you'll listen to this whole litany of what I'm bringing, it's going to all tie together, and it's going to actually feed your spirit. Um, listen to this. In hope against hope, look what it says here, verse 18. He believed so that he might become a father of many nations. What does hope against hope mean? In, in a hopeless situation, he maintained Bible hope. There was no natural hope, no natural help around. How do you have a baby thousands of years ago when the woman is past menopause and the man is 100 years old? Well, it's going to have to be a miracle. Uh, most of what we're believing for right now, it's gotta, we, we have to have a miracle. I love going to a church where all the vision is so big, we have got to have God. And it's not by might, not by power. He'll deliver by many or by few. And he's doing a great refining work right now to get us ready for it. So uh, he says, uh, a father of many nations, he said, I'll make you, so shall your descendants be. Look at verse 19. Without becoming weak in faith... He contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. The King James says he contemplated not his own body. So why does one translation differ so much from the other? Uh, it has to do with manuscripts and has to do with interpretation. I actually land on this New American Standard. I'm fine with this, that he actually considered his own body as good to de as dead. He looked at, he was a realist. I actually relate more to this. Uh, faith is not denial. Faith is not ignoring a problem. You can't tell the mountain to be removed unless you admit there's a mountain. Yeah. I want our church to be very practical about this. I want you to get this. It's like, yeah, this is a problem. Yeah, this is the sickness I need healing from, yeah. right? right. Th this is the problem that I need a breakthrough over, right? Yeah. Instead of, the, we're not in presumption, we're not in denial. We're denying the devil the right to entrench and, 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 and rip us off and oh yeah, you're going to get excited when I share how to close the door to the devil as I finish. So get excited now because it's going to get quiet in here for a minute. Because <laughs> it has to do with forgiveness and it has to do with resentment. It has to do with keeping a good spirit. And God will help us. Everybody say, oh God help me. He's helping us. He's our help. So look what it says. In respect to the promise of God. Oh yeah. He, he considered his own body as good as dead and also the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet, verse 20, with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief. A couple other verses in the Bible about wavering. During Jezebel's period with Ahab in Israel, when there was Jehovah worship and there was Baal worship, and she brought in idolatry, and there was a terrible moment and the theologians call it um, syncretism. And syncretism is a disturbing blend that God is not pleased with. He's a jealous God and he wants, he wants things to be right. And what was happening was there was an amalgamation of belief systems. 
And that was the wickedness that was coming on Israel. And that's why God had to raise up Elijah on Mount Carmel, which is just east of Haifa, the port city of Haifa. He got up on Mount Carmel and he called fire down from heaven and burned up the false prophets of Baal. And God has done that over and over again through the ages because he will not be mocked. He doesn't want duplicity. He is the Lord and he is a jealous God and he wants things to be right. And he's doing that. He did that amongst the Jewish people. He's doing that in the church. He wants to do that in each one of our hearts so that we're not, he said, how long will you halt between two opinions? How long will you vacillate? Either God is God or Baal is God. You know, Joshua had one of those moments, those fence riding moments. People apparently were like wishy-washy. He said, if you want to follow the idols in, in, for, that you just noticed in the towns we just passed through here in Canaan, you could do it if you want to because God gives you free will. But as for me and my house, he said, I'm going to serve the Lord. And then in James, it says that when we ask God for wisdom, we're not to, we're not to waver. We're not to vacillate. So let, let's get this. Uh, parents, I see some parents, you know, and when and we've got to let our yes be yes and our no be no, or else we get massive, like, district attorney uh, 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 cross-examination from our kids. And if you don't get definitive with your kid, when they become teenagers and they get some hormones and some way about them, then you, you, you could create a manipulator. So, so you got to, your yes has to be yes and your no has to be no, right? Well, in James chapter 1, it says, if any of us lack wisdom, we can ask God, he'll give us wisdom. Like some of you are trying to figure out about your uh, investments and things like that. Ask God for wisdom. There was a medical doctor in the church. He specialized in, uh, 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 what, what, what is that, uh, uh, allergies. He was an aller uh, allergist. That was his proficiency. And yet, you know, he had a good income, and he, didn't, he was clueless about finances, but he knew God knew God was, was going to help him. So he, he got over there, and he started, this is way before even day trading. This was many, many years ago. And he said, Pastor Jeff, I've been asking God for wisdom. He's been showing, I just have done this just sort of recreationally. My money doubled, and then it doubled again. Pastor Jeff, he comes to me a few days later. It just happened again. He was just like, ah, you know, and I thought, wow. And, you know, you hope he does that when he's dealing with every case. Somebody comes in, infectious disease or whatever they're dealing with, and he moves in that, don't you? But God is actually, it's his hope for humanity, particularly his followers, that we get single-minded, that our love is focused on him, that we are obedient to him, that if we veer, we repent quickly, and that... When we ask for wisdom, we ask in faith without any doubting. For he that doubts is like the wave of the sea driven by the wind and tossed. And the Bible says in James chapter 1, Let not that man expect that he'll receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Double-mindedness will get us in trouble. And, be, and it's easy. We can all do it because we have flesh. And as long as we live in the flesh, we have the potential to be double-minded. We could be soulish. We could be spiritual. We could be fleshly. We could be spiritual. And uh, that's why it's so important that we feed our faith on God's word. We stay in church. We get around the right fellowship. Uh, we cut off from the wrong fellowship. We make sure we're following good teaching. 
uh, we keep our attitudes right. And this is where I want to finish up. All that was my introduction. Verse 21, Abraham said, being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Full assurance, firm persuasion. Look, the Bible says, let each person be fully persuaded in his own mind. You got to have some wits about you today. You got to know what you believe and know who you believe, know why you, you believe what you believe about him. And you got to, having done all to stand, stand. Let's go to James chapter 4, because God is wanting to do something so great in your life, in your individual world, that you just want to just get anything out of the way that would hinder it, because heaven and earth are about to see some amazing things occur, and you want to be in on the blessing. If Abraham and Sarah could receive the ability to conceive past the proper time of life, then so can you. If Abraham and Sarah obtained promises and God said to them, look up at the sky, at the stars, try to count them. You can't count them. Look at the sand of the seashore. You try to count them. You can't count them. That's how much blessing is going to come out of your, this moment. So this is what Abraham, our father, found. So here we are in our workaday lives. Here we are. Maybe you just sold a house. Maybe you're facing retirement. Maybe you just had a loss in your life. Now I know widowers in here and widows. And it's like, what? You know, where, where do I go from here? I'll tell you where you go. From glory to glory and from faith to faith. Because it says in Proverbs chapter 4, the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter to the full day. And in Ecclesiastes, he says the end of a matter is better than the beginning. A lot of you have had fantastic beginnings and you're so grateful and you should be. But don't just live in a, in a contentment where you just kind of put it in neutral. I urge you to be like Caleb, who at 85 years old on his birthday looked up at the mountain of Hebron and said, give me this hill country because maybe God will help me to put a whooping on these giants. The Spanish cellist Pablo Casals practiced eight, nine hours a day in his 80s. He had already had magnificent career as one of the greatest musicians of all time of classical music. People say, why, Pablo, do you keep practicing this much? He said, because I think I'm getting better. I think I'm getting better. Look at somebody next to you and say, I think I'm getting better. You've got a growth potential. You've got favor surrounding you as a shield. You've got a God who is faithful. He was faithful to Abraham and Sarah to give them a baby. They messed up. They went out and, and, and Sarah said, look, here's this, here's this uh, your, your servant and I'm, I'm barren, you can have the baby through her. And so they, he did that and had Ishmael, and you could read that Ishmael would be in a strife, a fighting uh, with the rest of the world for the rest of his, the eons. 13 years later, Isaac, the son of the promised, was born. And so we must understand we are poised to see some amazing, miraculous things take place. Oh, I'm excited about this. But now look at James chapter 4, and let's look at verse 7. It says, Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. There it is again. So now, what do we do? 
What did Abraham find? Abraham humbled himself and he was obedient. God told him to go to a place he knew not, so he stepped out. He, he walked by faith and not by sight, and we could learn from that. He believed God gives life to the dead and he calls into being that which does not exist. I'm convinced from the record of Chronicles that the eyes of the Lord still run to and fro throughout the earth, looking for people whose hearts are completely his that he may strongly support. I still believe that. I still believe his eyes do that. The eyes of the Lord are looking. The Bible says man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. It says in Proverbs 4.22, guard your heart, keep your heart, watch over your heart with all diligence. Why? Because from it flow the issues of life. The parameters of your existence, the boundaries and limitations of your faith aren't from outside. They're actually from the inside. Guard your heart because from it flow the issues of life. Caleb walked up and instead of managing his expectations, he lifts up his eyes and says, man, I know there are giants, literal giants up on that hilltop. And I want that as my territory. And, and I believe God will help me to put a whooping on those giants. I have had the influences of giant slayers in my life. And I'm grateful for the moments I got to spend in the atmosphere of the preaching and under the anointing of these men and women of faith that lived their lives in bold obedience. There were a few of them. They really resounded in my life. They echoed these very truths. They actually modeled these things in their own personal, different kinds of expressions of life and ministry. I loved it that they didn't compete with one another. They didn't compare themselves with one another. They, they in fact, all went through a season in the 1940s and 50s where people were playing play baby play games in a, a kind of a move of God and they, uh, they, it died early because people got competitive and weird and it, things got in the flesh. But there emerged out of that. A number of those people prematurely died, sadly, from disobedience and so forth. But then there were a few that remained, a few equippers. And the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 that God led captivity captive and he gave gifts to men. And he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for what? for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So God raised up a gift ministry to get us into the, out of these barriers and out of these constraints so we can lift up our eyes in our prayer life and have greater expectation for greater results and more consistent fruit in prayer, that we go forth as witnesses and trust that we'll see more people come to Jesus through our lifetime than we ever dreamt possible. That the stuff that has hindered us is going to break off. That there's no sickness bigger than our God. I just got a report of a couple from our church. The kids come to our church and the, and the grandma, the mom and the grandma, she's coming out of pneumonia and COVID. He's already back home. She's a lot better. She's going to come out better than ever refined like gold, and she's going to land on her feet, and she's going to have a great testimony. And so, look at this. This is amazing. The devil, is he understands that you as a believer in Jesus have been given delegated authority to bind and to loose, to believe in faith, and to expect things to happen in the earth. He seeks to disrupt that to cripple your effectiveness. So number one, 
He wants to get you out of agreement and get you in strife. And strife, where there's jealousy and strife, there's confusion and every evil work. He'll try it on a marriage. He'll try it in your own individual life. I know people that are at, at odds with themselves. And the devil will bring conflict. He comes, he, he comes to move you into a place of offense and conflict. Remember what I said last week. It bears re- repeating. I'm a fan of the Bee Gees. That's a guilty pleasure. Even their disco period. <laughs> Staying alive. I love it. Barry Gibb, and he had a, he had a brother named uh, Maurice and another one named Robin. They were twins. Andy sadly died of a cocaine-related death in the late 80s. He was the young brother. Maurice and, and Robin were twins. Uh, Maurice died uh, in the 90s, and then Robin died May 20th, 2012. And uh, at the, he was at only 62 years young. And his brother, Barry Gibb, they had famously clashed personally and professionally for decades Uh, before his death, and that conflict lasted to the very end. Uh, Nonetheless, at Robin's funeral, elder brother Barry delivered a eulogy by saying this, quote, even right up to the end, we found conflict with each other, which now means nothing. It just means nothing. And then he turned to the audience and he said, if there's conflict in your lives, get rid of it. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Jesus wants us to, let's go over to Ephesians 4. Look at what it says here in Ephesians 4. You guys with me? I know I'm giving you a lot of scriptures. I feel like this is a word from the Lord for right now. So let's, let's read this here. It says, Paul says in verse 1, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. This is really what the Lord's saying right now. While the nations are going crazy, while the world is in upheaval, there's a lot of distrust, there are a lot of conflicting messages, we're all trying to figure out where to get our bearings, this is where we get our bearings. Go to the Word of God. It says in verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. That is one of the strongest scriptures. That'll take a bite out of your resentment. That'll help you with... Mark chapter 11, verse 25, and when you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them. It says here, be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. To each one of us, grace has been given according to the measure of God's gift. So now look at this, this harmony, this oneness, this focus. One God, one faith, one baptism. This is why I don't settle for the the division in the church. I don't want church buildings to be monuments of division. I want to see more cohesion in the body of Christ. Jesus apparently wants that. In John 17, he prayed that we would be one as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. Now, it says here, and I read that to you already about the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And then it says in verse, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, for the building up of the body of Christ, verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. 
See, this is not unattainable, and it's not for an elite few. I take issue with people that are trying to be more spiritual, and they, they kind of make their point that they're more spiritual than everybody else. Colossians 2, 18 and 19 says, Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions. By their unspiritual mind, they have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. In God's kingdom, there is structure. Jesus is the head and we're the body and we all need each other. Ligaments and joints. And this is one of my favorite verses in, in Ephesians 4. And this is why when people come to me and, and I've had people act like they've had visions of Jesus. Maybe they have, I don't know. But they tend, why do they have, to, they have to keep talking about it? The few, the handful of phenomenal kind of things like that that I've had, I'm not even allowed to talk about them. Paul said he saw things he couldn't even talk to people about. It's holy. It's not a badge. And when people strut around and try to act like they're more spiritual than you, you got to just shake it off and don't let them uh, try to disqualify you. There's a, there's a current wave of pseudo-intimidation that comes from braggadocious voices, and you'll just have to shake it off and be like, uh, like President Reagan and have, be, be the Teflon president. Let it just go like water off a duck's back. I just said something for somebody today. And I'm online too, so hallelujah. <laughs> I'm the kind of guy that should edit everything he puts out. I shouldn't be live, but anyway. <laughs> the Rolling Stones are on a no, they're called the No Filter Tour. I guess I'm on the No Filter Tour with the Rolling Stones. And God bless Charlie Watts. Anyway, listen to this. It says in verse 13 about the equipping of the saints, until we all attain to that unity and maturity. And maturity. Everybody say, oh, grow up. And at verse 14, it says, as a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Verse 16 is my, one of my favorite verses. From whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. You guys getting this? I realize I'm making you drink uh, sip water out of a fire hose. My wife ran into, she and I ran into these guys who were, they're, they're fighters, they look, they're just amazing. I looked at him and thought, man, I look, it's like I'm looking in the mirror. And she said, are you guys fighters? Yes, ma'am. Um, what kind of fighting? Uh, MMA. She said, what's MMA? Mixed martial arts. Where are you fighting? Uh, at the factory. When? Tonight? So there's a fight across the street. I'm glad there's not a fight in here. So I'm preaching to keep the fight from happening in here, except to fight the good fight of faith. Not fighting amongst ourselves. Because that's what the devil wants to do. You watch it, the last two years, the devil has sown discord amongst the nations. He's sown discord in places where there wasn't even discord before. People that are now all of a sudden getting in situations that we weren't even in before. Because the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy. 
He knows that his, num his number is up, that his days are limited. He knows that Jesus is coming back to a glorious church without spot or blemish. He knows something about this Abrahamic thing where Abraham and Sarah had a baby and this thing launched into a supernatural thing that God's doing and salvation came through the Jews and this Messiah comes in on the scene, this amazing Lord Jesus Christ, King of Kings and Lord of Lords that we love so much. And he's pouring out his Holy Spirit on all flesh and our sons and daughters are gonna get in on it. That's why the devil's working on them with their cell phones and with technology and with peer pressure and all the garbage that's happening. Very similar to when I was a teenager. It was crazy. Drugs were available. Uh, values were being questioned. Crazy stuff was alighting upon uh, the world. And God just began to open up these doors. The, the heavens started to open. He's pouring out all this glory. Hallelujah.